Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Saw some movies this week. We talked about it in the movie journal. Yeah. One of the things that I attended was a screening of experimental or avant-garde or what have you Mm -hmm. short films uh, at Red Cat. And it started at 8.30, Mm -hmm. right? The... um, the 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 pro, uh, the films themselves totaled about ninety minutes. Okay, right. Now you add in a few minutes here and there. Sure, but it's, I should have been out out of there a little after ten. Right. Mm-hmm. It's ten forty five. Okay. When I got out of there, I'm downtown. I got to take the train home, so I'm, it's going to be forever before I get home. Yeah. And it's because of something that happens, and I don't know. I think it happens in general at sort of any sort of like non-mainstream type screening, be it a festival or okay. or a repertory or you know any sort of specialized screening event where things they have introductions. Yeah, yeah. right. This isn't even like this. I'm not talking about a Q and A afterwards. That you can skip out on, which sure. I always do, as we've talked about in the past. Yeah, always the always the right call. Yeah, um, I'm talking about this guy. Perfectly nice guy. I'm not going to say his name, but he's one of the guys who runs the program over at Red Cat. Does a, he does a hell, he does a heck of a job. Um, but he's he goes on and on about here's what we have coming up over the next four fucking years or whatever at Red Cat, and then talks. There's nine films. He talks individually just by himself about each of the films, and then six of the nine filmmakers were there, so one by one he calls them up. To each talk about their films. It takes 45 minutes before the movies that are supposed to start at 8.30 even start. Am I, am I supposed to be budgeting this into going to the movies time? Because I go to the movies. I know. We're a fucking community of cinephiles and everything like that. And this is all part of the thing. But I go to the movies to see the movie. I generally oh, yeah. don't care what other people have to say about the movie, especially including the filmmakers I've themselves. I've even seen the fucking thing. Yeah, that's that, that drives me crazy. The, yeah, that's <coughs> I, I I agree completely, and it's actually one of the reasons. Like when we go to a screening and they give you you know the the press notes and stuff. Like I don't read those beforehand. No, uh, I made that mistake once. I read the direct. Basically, it wasn't called the the director's intentions, but that's what they were. Right. <laughs> and immediately, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, yeah. That's and it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, yeah, that's it's ridiculous. But it's this, I mean, this was an extreme example because it seemed to go on forever. Uh, well, forty five minutes, obviously. Um, but it happens a lot, and I don't know. I, sometimes I feel if I don't know if it's I'm getting more curmudgeonly as I get older. Or if it really is worse in Los Angeles than it was at screenings that I'd go to in St. Louis or Chicago. Um, um, I think it could be a combination of both. I think as as I think as we get older, we we like we have a timetable. We have things we have to do. Yeah, and then you know. I, even I mentioned screenings, like if a screen, sometimes screenings get pushed back like 10, 15 minutes, like press screenings, yeah, press screenings. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some critics that will be a little vocal about it. Now, yeah. my schedule is such that I very rarely have somewhere I need to be right after, but I, certainly other people like 
it said it was going to start at a specific time. Yeah. And now, because and often you know what it is, it's because one or two name critics, yeah, haven't shown up and they are subpoenaed. And we want to make sure exactly. We want to make actual, absolutely sure that Leonard Malton's not in track. No, Leonard Malton is the he's best usually and, yeah. And he's, he's usually, usually there time. early. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just he was at my ex machina screening the other night. How's he doing? I didn't talk. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't talk to anyone at screenings. It's talk, kind of a problem. I talked to that one woman, and it was a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really do have that. I, I. I think I just like. I am not good at fostering the idea of a film community. I went to. Yeah. Did we I do went, an episode about? It's something we should do an episode about, actually, because I. I'm sure we did something like that, right? Because it's a problem with me. We like, should have Aaron and Amy on, because Aaron knows everybody. Right, and so does Amy. Yeah. Like I went to. I went to the seventh, uh, seventh sun screening yeah. and he was there and he went on to introduce me to basically everybody. And I knew nobody, I knew him and only yeah. him. I, and I just, I, I, part of it is just my social awkwardness, but also like movies were the thing that I did because I didn't have any friends. I don't know how to reconcile the idea of being into movies and having friends at the same time. So I'm not very social at all when I'm at movie events. Well, and by the way, just because all those other people are socializing doesn't necessarily mean that they have social skills, uh, as evidenced by that, ex- that interaction I had with that one woman, yeah. which, uh, has put me off talking, uh, to fellow critics ever again. I can barely tolerate you. <laughs> um, but this was on my mind. It's funny that this happened this week. <clears throat> this thing at the um, at, at Red Cat, um, which, if you don't know, is the Roy and Edney Disney. Roy and I always say it wrong. Roy and Edna Disney Cal Arts Theater. That's oh. what Red Cat is. I don't think I actually knew that. Um, but um, it, 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 I was already on my mind this week because I don't know if you know. Coming up, I don't know if it's tomorrow or a week from tomorrow, but the sort of official release of Olivier Assayas is The Clouds of Sils Maria. Hmm. It's happening, which I had a uh, now tickets at AFI Fest are free, but that mm-hmm. doesn't there's no guarantee you're going to get in. They Not get at way all. More tickets, yeah, and it's getting bigger but every year. I had a ticket for Clouds of Souls Maria, and I should have had plenty of time to see it, but because two different people talked for almost half an hour of the film I saw earlier, I didn't get to Clouds of Souls Maria in time. Oh, and so that. But I was reminded of that again this week, just looking at like what's coming out in the next couple of weeks and being like, oh, yeah, that thing I should have seen back in November. Yeah. Except the two people couldn't shut up about this movie that wasn't even that great. Um, why don't I remember the name of it? Oh, well. See, that's how that's how uh, unforg- that's how forgettable the movie if was. If they're going to do it, it seems like they should do it after. After, exactly. Yeah. So that at the very least, like, so there could be a Q&A and so that. It means something when this person says stuff. Right. You know? But also, I mean, especially at a festival where things are scheduled. Like, yeah. everyone, most of the people at festivals have somewhere else to be. They yeah. have another screening to make. We really should. If there's anything, I talked about not being part of, like, the film like or cinephile or critic community. But if we could band together for anything, it would be, like, at any sort of screening, just start the movie within... At most, at most, 10 minutes after it says it's going to start. Sure. At most. Absolutely. That, I, I, would give, I would sign petitions. I would All stand right. outside of Trader Joe's, you know, and um, sexually harass women, which is what the guy outside the Trader Joe's that I go to does. 
David, that's not a rule to stand out there. Apparently, that's what you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I tell you who would definitely stand behind uh, these views of ours. Okay, is our various sponsors, and we have oh, okay. several. I thought we were going to open uh, a present first. But no, let's we'll do the sponsors do, we'll, first. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, everybody, we have several sponsors. I apologize for that, but at the same time, I think you guys will enjoy uh, involving yourself uh, yourselves in uh, what these sponsors have to offer. So, first off. This episode is sponsored by Mubi. They're back, David. Yeah, they were back last week. I know. Well, yeah, but come on. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Well, I record. I clear. I obviously <laughs> recorded it afterwards because my voice was so much worse. <laughs> and anyway, don't um, let. The, I don't think anyone noticed. I don't think anybody cared. Oh, I'll okay. say that. Um, uh, but anyway, this episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Right now, you can treat yourself to a Tilda Swinton double feature. Mubi is featuring her very first film, an inspired biopic of the painter Caravaggio, as well as I Am Love, an elegant uh, melodrama told in modernist fractured style. These films and more are available available at Mubi.com. There is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. All right. One down. <laughs> I don't think we should treat them like chores. Sorry. I'm, I'm riveted <clears throat> here, hearing about all the things that people have to offer and the ways that they can, uh, that our listeners can, can access these things and help out. Uh, that's true. Uh, it's, you know, it help out in ways that are beneficial both to the sponsor and to our listeners. That's what I like about and sponsorships. Us, the two of us as well. That goes without saying. Okay. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said it. Uh, all right. This episode is also brought to you by Dodd Skull Investigations, the debut graphic novel by author John Engel. Volume 1, The Simeon Case, is a sci-fi detective story about a private investigator living in a world populated by intelligent animals and sentient objects. Right now, there is an exciting new Indiegogo campaign that isn't meant to raise money. The book is already finished. But instead, as a pre-ordering platform, you give 20 bucks and you get a signed copy of the book. Done and done. So just click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com to get your copy of Dodd Skull Investigations Volume 1, The Simeon Case. And by the way, I've looked at some of the artwork for this thing, and it looks great. I, I'm very excited. Awesome. Uh, hopefully they'll send me a copy for free. Um <laughs> Maybe that's what's in this box. What? You don't know. I don't know. It's not. All right. No. John. Okay. (laughs) And then lastly, this episode is brought to you by The Scully. The Scully is a new documentary currently. Timely. What was that? Timely. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all these announcements. And then uh, today there is an announcement about uh, a full house reunion. Okay. Who gives a shit? A lot of people probably. I know. Probably. Maybe I should rephrase. Do you give a shit? Nope. Neither do I. <laughs> and neither does The Scully, which is you a new what? documentary. What? Sorry. A Full House reunion in 2015 doesn't mean anything. You know why? Why? Because that dog's dead. Oh. <laughs> right? Comet? Yeah. Oh, that's true. You've made me sad, David. <laughs> All right. So, am I... F- okay. Uh, the I'm Scully... Sure Mike likes this. 
if, if there's anyone who's okay with me joking about a dead dog right before his ad, it's Mike. Absolutely. No question about it. He'd be like, no, 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 that's kind of, I don't think that's very funny. Um, <laughs> the Scully is a new documentary currently funding on Kickstarter from Mike Celestino, the writer director of the acclaimed comedy documentary. That's not funny. Uh, the Scully will be a feature length analysis of the history of skepticism in popular culture. How has mass media influenced our view and concept of what skepticism is and how it functions? And how has our perception of real-life skeptics influenced the depiction of skepticism in fiction? Which characters from throughout the history of storytelling fit the skeptic archetype? And what roles do they play in their respective tales? Just who exactly is the Scully? Find out by supporting the documentary The Scully on Kickstarter. Just click on the link at BattleshipPretension.com. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And again, you can find uh, all the information about all of them and ways that uh, you can be benefited by our <laughs> relationship with them. Exactly. At BattleshipRetention.com. It's on the right-hand side of the page. All right. Now, let's order, let's open a present. Okay. This is very exciting. Well, it's in one of the packaging. The, the type of packaging lets me do one of my favorite things. Okay. Which is unzip the cardboard. You know yeah. the kind of packaging I love talking it. about? I love it. All right. All right. That was very satisfying. It would have been nice if it was all one rip, but I that's know, fine. But you didn't have a lot of room to maneuver there. That's that's the issue. Okay. All right. David, what is this? Well, these are gifts. Oh, my gosh. They're even wrapped. And they have... Oh, they okay. They don't have our names on them. Uh-oh. The guy emailed us, although you didn't get it. Yeah. And it, said it, which one is for which of us. Sorry, so I buddy. guess I'm just going to open one, and I'll, I don't know. And you'll know. I'll, know Here, I'll look over here, David. Uh, you narrate what you're doing. Trying to get into this packaging. This is not good radio. I know some people probably think that us opening presents in general is not good radio. I know one person. Those people can go screw because I like getting presents. Well, I do as well. Okay. Well, this thing is proving difficult. (laughs) And let's see which one this is. I've grown tired of looking away from you. All right. This one's mine. So this one's yours. Yay. All right. All right. This better be good. These are DVDs. As you can tell, right? Well, there's more, I th- they look more like Blu-rays, David. I think they're DVDs. Yeah, this is a DVD. Oh, is it? Okay. You think because the wrapping's blue, that's what that you That must be it, yes. So. They... Mine's a Blu-ray, asshole. Is it really? Yeah. You motherfucker. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, these are both films by Andre, uh, Andre Tarkovsky. Yeah. I got Stalker. You I got, got The Sacrifice. The Sacrifice. Uh, thank you. I thought there was a note, so now I have to... I, I, I didn't have the guy's name. Oh, no. Hold on, dude. It's on here. Bob, thank you so much. Yeah, it's not on here. Uh, maybe I'll say it later in the show. I'm not going to. Henry, I appreciate uh, your put, gift. Jake? Thanks. Jake, um, you're the best. No, uh, I yeah, I thought I'd be able to read his name, but it's not in here anywhere. That's very exciting. You know, I haven't actually seen that much Tarkovsky, but what I've seen I've loved. Um, oh, I his see- name's Travis. There is, Travis. There is a note. Okay. Thank you, Travis. Um. Yeah, I love he left Solaris. A specialized note. It says, "Enjoy your gift." <laughs> that, that might just be a form. I I, I think it it could be. Um, and then I also saw uh, Ivan's Childhood. Did you ever see it? I never have. No. It's wonderful. I loved it. So, um, yes, thank you very much, Travis. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Now let's, we've got things to get it, to. Yeah, we wanted to do. Um, now, you might have noticed. We've been distracting you from it by talking about a lot of other stuff. You might have noticed the number of the episode on your MP3 player or your computer or what have you, your mm-hmm. phone, whatever device you use. Word of mouth. 
Someone just... A game of telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if there's... They wouldn't show up in our numbers if there's anyone who listens just by having episode, every episode described to them. Oh, man, that'd be great. Um, so, uh, but you might have noticed that the, the, the number of this episode ends in a zero. Mm-hmm. And yet is not divisible evenly, at least, by 50. Right. Which means... This is a profile episode. That's correct. Now, I want to keep this short, so you picked someone who has 221 credits yeah. on IMDb. Oops. <laughs> um, and the person you picked is who and uh, and why? Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, but for, for some reason lately, I've been feeling very nostalgic. And I've been feeling, more specifically, um, thinking back to, okay, what shaped me? as a film lover. And so more specifically, what are the movies and actors and directors that I first took note of? Like, uh, in, I believe the, um, in the, pro, uh, the, not profile, the, uh, the movie journal that we just re- recorded right. uh, a few days ago. Um, <clears throat> you said that I, that I am better with actors names than you are. Yeah. Uh, and so the first, I think I can safely say the very first actor whose name I took the time to remember mm-hmm. was Tim Curry. Um, and for a very long time, he was my favorite actor um, for a number of reasons that we'll, that we'll get into as we, as we continue on with the episode. And he's an actor that I feel like he's associated with maybe one or two like iconic roles right um and aside but outside of that people don't talk much about him even though clearly i he actually uh i think had a stroke like a a year or two ago and so he's been kind of laid up but um but he worked consistently on stage in tv in film uh but he just he became kind of just a just a this journeyman actor and he like his career started at its height and then grew uh, gradually uh, his, his profile okay. uh, went down. Do you know what I mean? I, I guess I know what you mean, but I don't know if that's maybe because of my age when we'll get, when, once we get into the actual films. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like I associate him with a lot of this, like late eighties and early nineties type stuff. But when you say he started, at the top of his profile, are you talking about Rocky Horror? I am. Okay, so let's just that, start that with That is Rocky the Horror. one that people know. He'd done a lot of great stage work. He was the per- he played Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Mozart in Amadeus. He was nominated for uh, a Tony for that. Oh. And then lost to the person that played Salieri, Ian McKellen. Oh, I didn't know I feel that. like that would have been a pretty amazing yeah. show to see. I'd like to have seen that. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as, uh, you know... Whenever we go through an actor's profile, it's always going to be much larger than any directors or writers or anything like that. And so we're not going to go through everything. I've written no. down everything of his that I have seen. Okay. Have uh, you seen the Rocky Horror Picture? I sure film? have, yes. So let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, it's hard to... Uh, I find myself instinctively wanting, wanting to talk about the film itself. Uh, but I will, I will focus in on his performance because I feel like... Uh, the film doesn't work as well. I think I like Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think yeah. everybody really got the tone. Um, I especially think Barry Bostwick does a really good job as Brad. Um, but I think the the 
the hedonistic vibe of the world of Rocky Horror, I think, needs to be summed up and embodied by F- Dr. Frankenfurter. Mm-hmm. And so you need somebody who has a certain type of charisma and is willing to go as over the top as possible, but also can and, and can have sort of an androgynous quality to him because the character, it, you know, it's cannot be limited by any sexual label. Yeah. Um, and so Tim Curry certainly as a singer could have a very powerful voice, but also actually a very, uh, a very vulnerable, quiet singing voice as well. And I feel like there's, I think there's a lot more emotional depth to Rocky Horror Picture Show than people give it credit for. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't know if I could um, uh, comment on that. Just especially the effect that, that what happens, the effect that it has on the relationship between Brad and Janet. Like, it's it's pretty rough. But also there's a there's a, a sadness for Dr. Frankenfurter when he has to go back, you know, to his home planet uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, as he's, uh, you know, singing... Uh, don't dream it, be it. And just, and it's just a, and it's very breathy and it's very quiet. And it, and it seems like a, it seems genuinely heartbreaking. But then when he's singing, you know, sweet transvestite or any of these other, other songs, he just belts it out. Yeah. And like, that's a character that could seem in many ways, completely one dimensional and who cares, but he, I think he crafts him into a full character by recognizing that maybe the only way this guy can relate to people or, or the way, sorry, the only way he can connect with anybody is through hedonism and that sort of thing. I, uh, I'm, I really want to watch it again. Uh, my question about Rocky Horror is, now this was his first, according to IMDb, his first movie. Yeah, I guess so. Um, he'd done um, TV and I guess some stage stuff that was broadcast on TV. Mm-hmm. But do you think that by by entering into movies by playing a character like Dr. Frankenfurter, he, do you think that's what made him such a go-to for more outlandish characters? Or do you think given his generally outlandish facial contortion abilities and just his overly expressive, even when he's not doing anything with his face, it seems to be uh, overly expressive. Do you think that would, he would have ended up with roles like say in legend anyway? Um, because of the the way his the way his face works probably was great for stage yeah uh, and might have at least in the eyes of directors and casting directors and stuff um, limited him, limited him to a certain type of role in the movies well I feel like it's worth bringing up at this point that he got his start on the stage as I mentioned and he has a great face for the stage you can I mean when he smiles you're gonna see it right in your face in the back row yeah. An argument could be made that he is a pretty big over actor, um, or at least he's over the top. In fact, he was in a short-lived sitcom called Over the Top, um, and uh, and I think there's an argument to be made for that. That he just and people knew what to expect from him. That he has exaggerated facial expressions. He has a voice that can that you can do something with. And so I feel like it's hard to know if he would have settled into much more conventional, like almost Michael Caine type roles. Um, it's hard to know, but I don't think so. I don't think he's that type of actor. I think he's, 
I think he's a supporting actor. He's a character actor through and through. Um, and uh, well, when and you I, call him an overactor, I feel bad saying that. But like, because, well, we'll big. To, he's very big, and that is true in most cases. We might get to some examples where he reined it in a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, or at least one later. But um, I, I've never seen Annie. I don't know if you have anything to say about. I it. have not for a long time. Okay. I remember recognizing that he plays Rooster. Um, uh, Carol Burnett's brother. Okay. Um, I remember thinking he was good. I couldn't, I can't talk about it really at all. I feel, I feel bad about that. Do you have anything to say about legend? I do. Uh, I haven't seen in a long time, but if you've seen, if you've ever seen legend and I saw it when I was, I don't know, 10, uh, uh, you'll remember that character and you'll remember how he is played. The character's name is, I think simply darkness. Yep. Um, the makeup job Oscar nominated is insane is insane. <laughs> like you it's one of those things I recognize that it's a fantasy and so you're not supposed to think about this but you wonder like how was this legend guy born? Like was he born with those horns cuz I think he would destroy his mother. Um Well maybe he wasn't maybe it wasn't that kind of born. Oh, watch he out. was egg hatched. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh and also like it's like uh, his neck must be so strong to hold those horns up. Um but so anyway, but that's you're not supposed to think about that. Uh, but the character is just, I mean, he's the embodiment of evil. Right. And so there can't be a lot of nuance to him. And yet, I remember Tim Curry played him as very quiet. Um, yeah, that's and, true. And very small. I think he recognized, like, yeah, I see how I look. I don't yeah. need to be very big. Yeah, I don't, um, <laughs> this doesn't need any more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't need any more volume here. Yeah, let's not gild the lily. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and I remember really liking, um, his performance also because that, I mean, just, it's a very physical character, not that he's running around and and jumping around, but like he has to be at ease with this very strange body. And I mean, Tim Curry was under makeup basically from head to toe. Um, and it would have been, I think, I feel like it would have been very obvious if he was not comfortable in it. Right. Um, but he he really felt uh, the character feels lived in. And I think he, I think he understood what that character needed to be. And so it's, uh, you know, it's odd. I just said that he's an over actor, but he chose, he chooses to very much underplay it, right. which makes the character more frightening that, cause it makes it seem like he's got all the patience in the world. All right, let's move on to the movie that I first knew him from and me as well. Yes. And that I probably still most associated with him is clue. The movie mm-hmm. from, also from 1985, he played Wadsworth. Yeah. And um, I feel like he was the sort of uh, – is almost a uh, – not cliche, but like a stock comic character of mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the servant or the person of a lower social standing, standing who's actually smarter than everybody else. Yes. Uh, and that's why he's – even though he is doing the Tim Curry sort of like – Oh, he's over the top in a lot of ways. Yeah. He's the best audience surrogate because, uh, you know, um, as exaggerated as he is, he's the only one who's not actually a little bit insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He, uh, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's smarter and he's, um, of course, he's very sarcastic, which is something that uh, yeah. always appealed to me when I was a kid. One of my favorite things, and he has, and I mean, this moment ends with a big eye roll. Um, my favorite part of Clue, as I'm sure yours is, uh, is Madeline Kahn. I think she's uh-huh. marvelous, but I think he's doing great work as well. And so there's a part where, um, 
Madeline Kahn says, uh, Mrs. White says, uh, she's talking about her husband, says he had threatened to kill me in public. And then Miss Scarlett says, why would he want to kill you in public? And then Wadsworth um, like just jumps right in. He's like, I think she means he threatened in public to kill her. <laughs> and then she goes, oh. And then he just does this huge eye roll. And it's, and it's marvelous. I love it. And I think the timing has to do with like, he jumps right in. There is no pause. He just, it's almost like, oh, this person, like almost like he was anticipating not the way an actor does, but as the smartest person in the room will anticipate a dumb question. And there it is. Um, yeah. And it's, I really, I feel like he more than anybody else. And I, I think the whole cast is great. I'm also a big fan of, uh, 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 oh my gosh. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Eileen Brennan. Oh yeah. Um, and Christopher Lloyd as well. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but I feel like he more than anybody sets the tone of what this movie's going to be. That's a thing that I guess I I, I will say uh, from time to time uh, with his career is just the t- the roles that he gets tend to sort of be the film in microcosm. Rocky Horror Picture Show, Clue, um, right? Where he has to, you know, he's narrating the whole time, almost the well, whole time. Yeah, it's not, uh, what was the what was the phrase you just used to describe it? The- the film in microcosm? No, the, the describe his role. It used it, uh, I think, like hand holding or something like that. No, I don't remember. What? Did I, I don't remember. See, you don't listen to you anymore than I do. Apparently, no, I, I'm I'm insufferable, David. <laughs> uh, the way I think of him when I think of that movie is that he's like the 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 spinning axis at the center. Yeah, that ever that that's keeping everyone else from flying off into outer space. Yes, because everyone, no, no one else in the movie really has to be tethered to anything. Yeah. And the only thing that's keeping it together is is him. Now there are probably people, probably people older than us who are listening to this and doing their own eye rolls because Clue is not thought of as a great movie by people. No, and, and I've <laughs> I've rewatched it, and there's a lot of stuff I. D- it's weird. The stuff I responded to as a kid uh-huh. is very different than the stuff I respond to now. When I was a kid, oh, I did right. not respond to Madeline Kahn. Boy, I sure uh, do now. I would have to watch it again. I watched it all the time when I was. Yeah, a kid. I watched it a million times. Uh, all right. Anything else about that? Um, just that. Yeah. I mean, that is the one that is the, re- that film is the reason that I took note of him. Um, I think I took, I think I wanted to remember everybody's name. I mean, I was probably like six or seven and I saw that movie a million times yeah. and, uh, well, I was, I mean, when it came out, I was only three, right? yeah, but I, yeah, I would have seen it, seen it. And I watched it with my friends right, yeah. constantly. And just, there was something about his level of energy and the idea of just getting more and more manic as he is running from one room to another. Uh, and I read a really, I think it was on the dissolve, but I'm not hundred percent sure. It might've been Indie wire. There was this really good in-depth article about the making of Clue. Was it the, like the oral history? Maybe that was, yeah, it. I, read, yes. I can't remember what that was. It either. was really that, interesting. That was great, yeah. And I remember there was a, uh, a, a quote from, I think it was Michael McKeon who just said that like, if somebody else, especially in the last like 15 minutes of the film, if somebody flubbed their line, like Tim Curry would get very frustrated because it's just like, I have to say the fucking phone book and I have to, and it's all facts. I have to get it all completely right. And you're going to mess this line up. Now I have to start all over again. Um, and, and so, and just, he really respected just how much work Tim Curry has yeah. to do in that film. All right. Um, I feel like I want to mention the hunt for Red October simply because it's not yeah. it's not a big comedy or science fantasy science fiction fantasy yeah. or musical type thing. But I don't 
It's not a big part. It isn't. And it's strange because, you know, at this point, I mean, he's played, he played Frankenfurter. He played darkness. Uh Um, It seems like his character would be treacherous or or that he would just be more than what he is, but he's simply a supporting role. He's just a, a, because along with his, along with like his, his big terrifying smile, he also has uh, very expressive eyes and, he's playing a character who's constantly worried and is trying to be the voice of reason in a a situation that he thinks is very unreasonable. And so, uh, a lot of the time it'll like, it'll cut to him or he'll just be in the background. And like he, once again, it's don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's the focal point of the film, but he does wind up being something of an audience surrogate, or at least gives us a cue that, yeah, this isn't as much as, as much stability as the presence of Sean Connery does provide, which he does. Yeah. Tim Curry's performance lets us know like, yeah, this isn't normal. Yeah. This is okay to be scared. Yeah. It's (laughs) everyone could die here. Yeah. And and, uh, nobody wants that. Yeah. I'm glad you said, I I couldn't figure out what quite, quite what to say about it. Yeah. I think that's very good. It's a very functional part and you wouldn't think to put him in it, but he does a very good job. in it. But I mean, it seemed like it was a movie that uh, a lot of character actors wanted to be a part of. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, I mean, another, it's, it's always been one of my favorite, uh, Sam Neill roles. Yeah. Um, even though that's also a relatively small one, at least compared to Connery and Baldwin. Yes, absolutely. All right. Fred Dalton Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. What's next for you? Next for me is, okay. Before I get into this, I will say that it's weird when, okay. Who is I? Oh, shoot. Oh, I just read this article. That John Hamm was in contention to be in Gone Girl. Oh, yeah. Ben Affleck's role. Yeah. And that, uh, and people were saying that, like, now that Mad Men is ending and with Gone Girl having been, you know, the hit that it was and people saying, like, wow, this is the best work Ben Affleck has ever done as an actor, which I actually think. Um, people say, like, what effect would it have had on John Hamm's career if he had been in that? Well, we don't know that it would have. And we, we, we don't, but he, like he might've been terrible in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you hear about that. Then you hear about like Tom Selleck possibly pay, playing Indiana Jones. And I think he actually definitely would have pulled that off. And we would be talking about Tom Selleck in a different capacity now. Right. Um, in the same way when Tim Burton made Batman uh-huh. top of the list for him to play the Joker was Tim Curry. And for reasons, maybe it was a scheduling conflict, I don't quite remember, but it wound up going to Jack Nicholson. But for a long time, Tim Curry was going to be the Joker. Do you think it was just Jack Nicholson saying, hey, I'd like to play that? And then the studio going, guess who's your Joker now? Maybe. I, it's, I, don't, I can't imagine him saying, I want to play that. Now, if, you'll, if you don't mind giving me all the money in Hollywood, <laughs> uh, like it seems like maybe the studio thought, Oh, this would be a really interesting idea. Here's a bunch of money, Nicholson, come on in. And I think Nicholson did a great job, but I think we would be talking about, I think that would have, I don't, I don't mean to say it's not like his career was flagging. It's not like Tim Curry's had a bad career. He's had a great one, Yeah. but I feel like he might be viewed differently. Like these days it's like, Oh, Hey, Batman, Batman is a, is a, a figure in, in American culture. And so is the Joker. And when it comes time to talk about the Joker, Tim Curry could have been in that conversation. Um, 
And so that's that's an interesting thing, and it's kind of it kind of bums me out. As much as I think Jack, Jack Nicholson does a great job, but it you kind of wish we could see both. I do. That would be very cool. Yeah, but we kind of did in a way. It was only a matter of time before Tim Curry played a, a horrifying clown. <laughs> okay, um, here we are. So the next one for me is Stephen King's It. Yeah. <laughs> I remember which Kerry Fukunaga is <coughs> making remaking. I don't know yes. Yes. Which, I, which I'm... I think it could be... I mean, I'm I'm generally skeptical of remakes, but uh, yeah, this could be... Well, cool. and it's going to be a... You know, one was a miniseries, this will be a film, right? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like uh, there's enough... There's been enough time that I think it's okay. Um, so actually, this one doesn't, doesn't really bother me that much. Um, when was the last time you watched It? Uh, it's been a while. I don't... I didn't love it. Uh, I, I remember did at the time. I liked uh, a lot of the uh, old stuff more than the new stuff. Like when they were kids uh, in the 50s. I liked that more than the new stuff. Uh, I don't know that I, I think I liked it all. Um, uh, now, the way the, the the movie actually takes place chronologically, or the series, right? Like the first two hours uh, yes, which mostly the kids stuff, and then it's mostly the adult yeah, stuff. Which and, is weird uh, because the book goes back and forth. I don't know if you read yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, here's a fun story. When I first watched it with my brother, we went to Blockbuster, rented it on VHS, and it was uh-huh. two different tapes. Turns out they were put in the wrong, uh, put in the wrong cases. Okay. So I throw in part two of it, which, by the way, seems like a beginning. Uh-huh. It seems like, oh, we, this is the clear starting point. And then when it's, and then it ends and they've killed it. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, what could this other tape have on it? <laughs> and then you watch it, and I was like, oh, okay, I got it. It, wind, it winds up being like, oh, uh, supplemental material, I guess. Um, but I remember when it aired, um, watching it and, and taping it and then watching it over and over and over again, um, thinking that it felt more more cinematic than most TV of the time. Hmm. Rewatching it, it's... It still feels more it, now. It feels more TV than movies, but it yeah, it is. It isn't um, stereotypical TV movie type stuff. It is directed, and oh it, yeah, you know there, there's a, there's there's an aesthetic and there's a tone to it, and there are. Um, I think one of the digs against TV, especially TV mm-hmm. pre Sopranos, pre Golden Age, yeah, right, yeah. is basically that it's. That it's all like under a proscenium that they're essentially just pointing the camera at the actors yeah. and letting it unfold. Um, and it doesn't. The director's name I just looked up and I already forgot it. You know, Tommy Lee Wallace. Okay. Um, he's making directorial choices as a horror director. Yeah. Uh, that that I think work really well. I remember what, this has nothing to do with Tim Curry. Actually, I'm realizing, but one of my favorite, uh, not favorite, one of the things that scared me the most was the one kid seeing his dad uh standing on the water do you remember that yeah yeah which is in the middle of the day and his yeah. dad has had died in korea is that right Something i like think that? so yeah um and so he's in his like pressed uh army uniform and standing on a lily pad out in the water mm-hmm. and beckoning the kid to come to him uh there's like it, it that terrified me more than more than anything else in the movie for some reason at the I, time I, that, yeah, we're we're not talking about Tim Curry yet. I will get to him in a moment. But like, uh, yeah, the run of the like, not run of the mill, but like, 
the nonchalance with which the horrific elements are presented yeah. is terrifying yeah, to me as the kid it's i mean it's one of the first scenes as the kid is chasing his boat down the gutter and then there's just a fucking clown in there <laughs> just waiting yeah like and it's just treated as and there's no big musical sting it's just there it's just there waiting uh-huh. And like that to me is so disturbing. Just the, like it's totally incongruous, but it's not treated like that. And and it's yeah, like there's it's it's not. A, I don't think it's a, it's a great miniseries. There's a lot of things that I that I have uh, problems with as far as storytelling and the way it's written. Um, but that stuff I think works really well. And Tim Curry, as I've said. One thing that while while it could be said that he's something of an overactor, I will say he he knows the part he's playing, and he yeah, knows. I think that gets back to what I was saying when you okay. used the word overactor before. This is what I wanted to get at: is I don't know if overacting is the right right. It doesn't is the seem right, right. Uh, term because he's not. He never seems incon- incongruous. Yeah, is that the right incongruous? Incongruous. Yeah. Um. So he's making big choices, but he's also always has enough of an eye on the rest of the material to make it fit. Yeah. And with Pennywise, the character, not unlike Darkness, is just pure evil and predatory. Uh And as Pennywise, man, first off, like the design is nice and frightening, but just the way, like when he's like, he, he, the way he physically moves, he moves like a clown. Uh-huh. You know, just kind of herky jerky movements and just you feel like he could be a clown. Like Pennywise is occasionally kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and so Tim Curry recognized like, well, I can't be purely evil all the time. There needs to be a tempting quality to me, uh, especially for children. So I need to be kind of silly at times. And that will actually make the parts when I am evil, that will make them more effective. And so there's there's a part that I think is hilarious um, where he's in, I think, a library or something like that. And he's just telling old jokes. He's like, is your refrigerator running? You know, Mm -hmm. that whole thing. And then he does this laugh that could it can only be defined as a Tim Curry type of laugh. Uh And he was like, ha ha ha. And he does this weird thing. And it's just it's a very specific kind of choice that's silly because Pennywise is silly as well as being completely evil. And like, and I remember when I first watched it, I, I was young. I assumed it would scare me, Uh but then I thought, yeah, but it's just Tim Curry. I know Tim Curry. (laughs) It's not going to scare me because I know who is, who's behind it Uh in the same way that like genuinely, I never found Jack Nicholson frightening in the shining because it's just Jack Nicholson. Like I find uh, sort of faceless things like to me, Leatherface is terrifying. Yeah, I see. I see um, what you mean. There's just something about like, and and because you know, and then Mother from Psycho is terrifying to me. Like when it's just a person, and just and and especially an actor that I know of, I feel like ah, <laughs> come on, yeah. knock it off, Tim. Yeah, uh, easy there, Wadsworth. All right, <laughs> uh, but so I assumed that it would be fine. Not the case. Like, he commits so completely to that, and he knows exactly how to play the character, how to physicalize the character for maximum dread, and I I, I thought it worked great. And I feel so, like that is maybe 
that along with Frankenfurter, I think is his most iconic character Probably. for people our age. Um, who's going to play Pennywise in the remake? I who, don't know. Who could? Who could live up to that? John Leguizamo. All oh. right, moving on. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I don't know what your next one is. Uh, we're getting uh, next one for me is TV. Um, is there something called TV or is it a TV? Thing? It's a TV show. So you're skipping right over Oscar, which I've never seen to this day. Okay, I have not seen it in a long time. It's a John Landis film. That you loved I, it. It was I, one of your favorite. Things. I don't know if it holds up, but I used to rent it when I was a kid. I would rent it constantly. Which sounds so dorky, like yeah. <laughs> that that was the movie that I was was into. But I think, in retrospect, I think I just really, really like farce. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know why I respond so well to that, uh, but I do. And I also didn't have, as a kid, didn't have any of. I didn't really have the baggage of who Sylvester Stallone was. You know, yeah. the idea that he's doing a. Uh, a farcical comedy that requires everyone to be talking a mile a minute yeah um is uh, it didn't seem wrong to me yeah meanwhile uh, the guy who talks like he's wading through molasses somehow yeah. just uh but that's that's actually that brings us to tim curry's character because he plays the guy who gives uh oscar his elocution lessons yeah the story is that it's Sylvester stallone is a mobster who's planning on going legit mm-hmm. um and uh that's uh, I don't need to go. I don't remember much more of the story. There might be a wedding. I don't know. It's a farce. There's probably <laughs> yeah, a wedding, yeah, right. Um, uh, someone's probably trying to cook something. That usually happens. <laughs> Stands to reason. Um, there uh, may or may not be a, a cake teetering. Yeah, uh, but uh, what I like about Tim Curry in this role is that, unlike, um, you know, it or 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 uh, Frankenfurter, where he's kind of, you know. Uh, villainous or, or whatever mm-hmm. and unlike clue where he's the smart guy he is the clueless like if it weren't for the fact that he speaks english he might as well be roberto benini and down by law like he just doesn't <laughs> he's completely like oblivious uh, and unaware of what's going on and always trying to you know there's like a bunch of gangsters doing gangster shit mm-hmm. in the movie and he's just trying to stay proper and always very pleasant uh, even when Sylvester Stallone is, you know, yelling at him and treating him like crap, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a very funny performance. That's fun. I would like to see the movie again. Yeah, I, it's every time, time you talk about it, and you often bring up Peter Riegert, who I think is a, a comedic <laughs> yeah. entity that I like right. a lot. Um, yeah, and I still haven't seen it. I guess I got I, I need to prioritize it. Yeah, that like I thought about <laughs> so stupid, but when I got married, I kept thinking about Peter Riegert in that movie because when you when you have the marriage certificate it all mm-hmm. has to be like signed by a witness yeah and there's a part in oscar where peter rigger has to be the witness to something and he's like uh i don't know boss you always, you always told me never witness nothing you wouldn't you live longer that way and i that <laughs> that like phrase kept going through my head when the marriage certificate had to be signed um i wish i'd said it <laughs> uh, then my wife would have should- been like Actually, don't say. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. Um, All right, what's the next one for you? Uh, the next one for me is a cartoon. Which one? Peter Pan and the Pirates. Okay. Uh, for which he won, I believe, a daytime Emmy for voicing uh, Captain Hook. Okay. Uh, Peter Pan and the Pirates is a... You know what? I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But thinking back, I have a, I have a, very, I have a very strong memory of it. It's a good show. Like, it's a okay. very, very good show 
four kids and there is a the way that it treated Captain Hook where he it, he yes he's the villain but it really tried to explore his character a little bit and you see that occasionally he would like reluctant he would just recognize that like yes I would objectively I would like to kill Peter Pan but that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. So we all just kind of need to coexist for a while. And occasionally he would reluctantly uh, ally with, you know, the Lost Boys or something like that. It was a really interesting show. And I think Tim Curry does a very, very good job. Like he he makes his voice a little bit more growly and a little bit more piratey, even though the name of the, the, the nature of the character is, you know, it's all about good form and trying to be proper and all these. And so he is that while also being kind of brutal at times. Mm -hmm. And Tim Curry also recognizes like, well, I can't overplay any of these because this is a kid show. And so the character is very family friendly while also being very, I think what I really like about it is the specificity, Um, which tends to be a thing that I like in any performance when it's clear the character could be played in one in one way, and it's a very obvious way. And the char- and the actor chooses to layer some stuff on that isn't so obvious. And so uh, I I'm sure all the episodes of Peter Pan and the Pirates are available somewhere. You think? And, uh, probably because I don't think it's gotten a DVD release. And at this yeah. point, if something hasn't gotten a DVD release, it's probably available online somewhere, either you know, legally or illegally. You know what I was looking for? Maybe I should look in illegal channels. This has nothing to do with Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. But uh, the John LaRiquette show. I remember liking that show. I am really interested to, to rewatch that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, um, so if anyone knows where I can find it, or if anyone who has the ability to influence anyone to put it out, at least on Netflix. There you go. That would be fantastic. I think, hey, I think we do. Hey, everybody. Battleship Pretension here. Uh-huh. Let's get John LaRiquette show up on Netflix. Let's do it. Um, All right. What's next? Okay. Next for me is Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Um, yeah, uh, this movie is shit. I don't like it. I don't think it's <laughs> very good. Saw. And he is, of course, the villain, um, uh, the villain who, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I do have a very specific memory of the villain, uh, the name, I don't remember the name of the villain. It's basically like a smog monster kind of thing. Um, named Hexus. Hexus. There we go. And, Sounds um, like a black metal band. This this uh, monster is uh, all black and smoky and stuff, um, and so uh, and it just anytime anytime you talk about um, <clears throat> Tim Curry's like vocal ability, because especially as his career went on, like he did a lot of vocal work because he has a very powerful voice. And I remember the character. Uh, I don't know if I I don't know if he looked at the design of the character. And decided, oh, I need to make my my voice very silky and particularly sinister, uh, but in a very... Do you know what I mean when I say silky? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, I can imagine him doing it as well. Yeah. Um, like, not a lot of yelling, just very uh, seductive in a way. Um, so I don't know if he looked at the character and decided, oh, that's, this is how I need to play it. Or he did the voice and they thought, okay, we know... We have a better idea of how this character needs to be animated. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the character is basically like smoke and smog. And so there's an intangibility to him. Uh, and so, um, you know, there has to be a, I'll say seductive. There's a seductive quality to him. He's not a, a, a you know, he's not like a force of nature. He's more like, uh, 
tantalizing and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so I actually like the character design a lot and, and I like, uh, his vocal work, uh, in a movie that is again, shit. Um, okay. Moving on. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That's the one. That's the next one for me. I don't have anything to say about it. Yeah, that, speaking of movies that are shit, I was talking... I don't uh, remember it at all. I was talking with a uh, friend of the show, there's Jay like Sneakin. A, there's pigeons. There's like a lady. There's a pigeon lady who basically takes the spot of the old shovel guy from the first one. Plot point for plot point, it is the same movie, which is so... Yeah. It's just transplanted to New York. Um, and Tim Curry has a very thankless role. I feel bad for him. It's not that he does a bad job. He does a fine job. But it's just... He's the concierge, He's the proper concierge who... Uh, you know, who gets fooled. And uh, it's like, oh, that kid. He doesn't say that. But... Um, right. And so at one point, I believe he has to say, stop that child, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, what I will say, and this will come into play uh, in uh, probably the next few, um, is that, uh, I mean, Tim Curry is a guy who I think exudes intelligence. Mm-hmm. He plays dumb quite a bit. And he plays dumb. He plays, you know, just a comic foil in in home alone too. And he plays him real, not, not, not necessarily dumb, but just dense and just doesn't catch on. And he plays it convincingly and it can be very difficult for a smart person to play dumb and you buy it. Uh, but he does because I think he's a consummate professional and he commits to the role. Even if, even if the role is the concierge in home alone Two: lost in New York. And, uh, I think we can move on from there. Okay. I, there's so many things that I haven't seen in a long time that I I'm realizing there are movies that I watched multiple times that I haven't seen in a long time and one of them is National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One yeah which I don't know I haven't seen it for I don't know if it holds up but it was like one of my favorites I enjoyed it uh huh and I'll tell you one thing the thing his character's name is delightfully Mr Jigsaw uh huh he's a hitman for William Shatner um. And he has an accent that is nonspecific, which I love. He's just exotically foreign. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the very first time we see, when I think of National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1, one of the f- probably top three things I think of is when uh, <laughs> when he's dressed in a like a Girl Scout outfit <laughs> and somebody ra- and so... Uh, the doorbell rings and somebody looks out their peephole and you see Tim Curry with that fish-eyed lens thing right. lean and go, wilderness goes <laughs> with that big smile on his face. And I think it's hilarious. I really enjoy. Doesn't he have, uh, does he have a scene with Dennis Leary? Yeah. I think that's the scene. Yeah. Okay. But I might be wrong. Oh, right. He comes in and they have like a battle of. Uh, cliched sayings. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't know if it's him. Uh, it's I think it's I think it's William Shatner. William Shatner. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the one that gets Dennis Leary killed, I think. Is, yeah. Life is very short, and there is no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. Yes, and then it cuts <laughs> to Tim Curry, and he's looking in a book of like right. cliches, and he looks at, at William Shatner and gives a little a little head shake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's you know. And so there's not much, it's not like, I gotta watch it again. That's not a film where there's a lot of character development, Uh but I, you know, it's silly and he knows exactly how silly to be. Like, I think the minute someone said, Hey, you have an accent and nobody knows where it's from. (laughs) I think he's like, beautiful. Got it. I know exactly what to do. Um, uh, my favorite line from the movie has nothing to do with Tim Curry, Mm -hmm. but it's when the 
Charlie Sheen is the valet gets blown up. Yes. And Emilio Estevez says, it's going to take more than a, than a car bomb to get us off this case. And Samuel Jackson says, not a hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like that movie. Yeah. I think it's very funny. Um, okay. So what is next for you? Uh, another villain, Cardinal Richelieu. That's right. Yes. Three Musketeers. Which is also the name of your cat. Yeah, I don't like to advertise that. Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. Oh, yeah, sorry. But, uh, yeah, there's a number of reasons. My cat my cat is a girl cat, which mm-hmm. Cardinal Richelieu was not a girl or a cat, so it's uh, <laughs> a little bit weird. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Don't you share a birthday with him? Was that I, it? I think that I thought I did at the time. Oh, okay. what, But I don't. Um, I think I I'm just sorry. always liked him. That's a weird thing to say. Why would you like... He's a villain. Uh, maybe. I have no idea. I wish I could go back and remember. Uh, I thought it was the birthday thing, but it, it, clearly there had to be other stuff involved. I already had... Like, I always had a weird uh, preoccupation with Cardinal Richelieu, That's the actual person. Because I think... I Maybe it takes a few centuries for this sort of thing to happen, but... Even before, even if you haven't seen Tim Curry play him in Three Musketeers, if you mm. read about Cardinal Richelieu, he seems like a movie villain. Yeah. And so I think I was always kind of <laughs> preoccupied yeah. with that. He he reminds me, uh, you haven't seen any Boardwalk Empire, right? No. Okay. Stephen Root, oh. another wonderful character actor, yeah. plays a guy named, I believe, Gaston Means. And he plays him as just like, he plays him with this very specific kind of Southern accent. And he just very much seems like a gentleman. He's just the sleaziest guy and maybe the most intelligent man in the series. And, and you, you look at him and you think, man, this guy is such a, is he based on a real guy? 100%. <laughs> and what's more, the real guy was involved in all, in so many schemes. Like it's it's ridiculous. This man is a human cartoon. What's his name? Gaston Means. Gaston Means. Um, look him up and then imagine him being played by uh, Stephen Root and enjoy. Um, so what do we actually have to say about Tim okay. Curry and the Three Musketeers? I mean, he's um, playing another... He's playing another villain. Uh, is he? What does he do? It's been a long time. Other than having some pretty a pretty bitch in wardrobe, what yeah. is he doing differently? I think um, because up until now, I don't think we've seen him. I mean, they're in legend, obviously, but that's a t- notably different type of character. Right. Um, this is a character with power and a character with a lot of majesty, and a character. The majesty who, is more what I remember when I think about the movie. Yeah, like he's a guy who, in the same way that like. I think Tim Curry, when he looked at darkness in legend, he saw the design of the character and said, okay, I don't need to try. I don't need to work over hard to sell the evil of this character with Cardinal Richelieu. I think he looks at the costume. I think he looks at the way the character is written and the way he's carried. And he just says like, oh, there's like, I can be effortless. I just assume my power. I don't have to work hard for it. And so the, the way in which he is there, there's a certain, I don't know. There's a there's a a comfort level that his character has with his position. And so I think with that comes an arrogance and a haughtiness that works really well for the character. And and I think he does I think he does a great job. I, I really I, I think that movie's pretty good. I like almost everything except the Musketeers themselves. And even then Oliver Platt's in it and yeah. I like that. 
I'm not remembering. I think that's a it's a good name for my cat. She just like there you go owns the place. She sure does. No question about it. Um, okay, uh, moving on. You're the guy to talk about the shadow, right? I am. But are we in '94 there? That, yeah, that's. But you have you want to talk about dinosaurs? No. What I do want to talk about, and I've talked about it before, when I talk about the things that shaped me as a film goer. Trying to figure out where you're going. Mm, Go ahead. You, you, you won't get there. Okay. I don't think so. In 1993, there was a video game called Gabriel Knight, Sins of the oh. Fathers. Okay. The voice yeah. of Gabriel yeah, Knight yeah. was Tim Curry. And the character is like in his early 30s, and he's from New Orleans. And nothing about it seems like it should be Tim Curry, uh, including the fact that he doesn't do that great of a New Orleans accent. But the, the maker of the game said, we need somebody who has a very specific kind of voice. Uh, very authoritative, deep, and kind of sultry in a way, and just and can be ridiculous, but you still like him, no matter how much bravado he has. So she cast him Curry, and um, people have been kind of critical of his performance in some ways because they say like, "Oh, he overplays it, and that his accent isn't very good." I think the character, like the character's personality, is sold by his by his uh, delivery because there's more to the character than just nailing the accent. You have to nail the emotion. And I think he does brilliantly. And I think he, I, I, I think his, his performance is a good re a, a, a good portion of why that video game works so well for me and why the character of Gabriel Knight works so well. So, like, I know that there are a handful of listeners that actually know what I'm talking about when I yeah. say this, but I think I think he does a, a wonderful job. Okay. Uh, okay, we can now move on. Well, what do you have to say about The Shadow? We've both seen it. For there the is reason. an episode, I will say this, actually, before we get to The Shadow, or maybe after, I don't know what order you're going in. An episode of Tales from the Crypt, in which he plays an entire that. family. Uh, I, I believe he that. was nominated for an Emmy for it. Um, he plays this... Uh, this Southern fried hick family. Uh, and I believe Ed Begley jr. Uh, plays like a salesman, um, who comes to this, yeah. this family and falls in love with, you know, the ugly daughter played by Tim Curry, the older mother and the father. They're all played by Tim Curry. This is coming back to me. Do you remember? Yeah. And so, uh, the, name of the episode is death of some salesman. I think that's it. Yes. And so, uh, I'm telling you that's it. So I, I don't, it, it's not ringing a bell. Something with sales. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, Tim Curry's under heavy makeup. He's playing different types of characters with different Southern accents and stuff. And each one is, he's doing different things in each character, but you're, I think you're also very much supposed to know that it's the same guy. Um, and, uh, and it's delightful. I really, I really enjoy it. Um, he was right to be Emmy nominated for that. Um, seek out that that uh, seek out that episode because I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Okay, the shadow. Um, you saw it recently for the first time, right? Yeah, yeah, that's and, true. No, no, and, not for the first time. I had seen it before. Oh, okay. I saw it when we first lived together for the first time. Okay, and I saw the blue watch the Blu-ray when okay. when it came out. Uh, a moment ago, I talked about how. It's weird for somebody as intelligent as Tim Curry to play dumb uh-huh. and his character wonderfully named Farley Claymore is d- he's brilliant because he's uh-huh. a scientist, but he's dumb. Uh-huh. 
and juvenile. And I like that as well. Like there's a part where uh, things are going his way. Oh, you know what just occurred to me? He plays the assistant to Ian McKellen. And so it's so interesting that they, oh, yeah, many yeah. years before, played very different types of roles. Um, but there's a part where uh, Tim Curry has aligned himself with the villain, played by John Lone. And uh, now his boss, played by Ian McKellen, is uh, subservient. And so there's a part where Tim Curry is leaning in and he just keeps flicking Ian McKellen's ear. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'll bet you wish you had treated me better, didn't you? Huh, huh. I bet you wish this. And he just keeps doing And it's very childlike uh-huh. and very much like a bully. And it's very funny. And I, and I enjoy that uh, quite a bit. And there's a part at the end where... Um, where the character has a Tommy gun and uh, he doesn't know where the shadow is. So he just, he, you know what he He does the uh, Tyler Smith golden eye special, which is stand in the middle of the room and just spin in a circle and start <laughs> shooting and see what happens. Um, and so, uh, how does that work out for him? Uh, about as well as it worked for me. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, I like his performance a lot. I think it is, I think it works really well. Um, as, a character who just is short-sighted and is trying to and is selfish and is trying to just pick whatever side will serve him the best. Um, and I seem to recall when you rewatched the, the Blu-ray, yeah. um, uh, when you rewatched the film on Blu-ray, pardon me, I seem to recall at the time you said that you specifically thought you liked his performance a lot. Do you remember specifically I why? Remember. Okay. I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> I, you have a better memory than I do. I should probably just stop drinking these high lives. Is it high lives? It's probably high I think lives. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really I like the shadow in general. And again, the film has a very specific tone, and I think he and he, I think he reckon, I think everybody understands the tone of that film, and I think well, they get be, it really well. Yeah, that's something we keep coming back to. That he's uh, and part, but but I, but that's a, I guess that goes back all the way to my question from. Rocky Horror, is he great in these kind of roles because he recognizes the tone of the films he's in, or is he getting cast in these kind of films with these kind of tones? I think, I think, uh, probably both. I mean, I think they can be both simultaneously. He's a character actor, one with a very specific type of facial feature, a very specific voice, um, and just has a very specific type of screen presence. And so I think, you know, when you're a character actor, you're usually going to be a supporting part. And as we, we did an episode a while ago about supporting characters and a lot of the time, the supporting characters are used not to necessarily advance the plot, but to sell the reality of the world. And I think Tim Curry often gets cast in that. I mean, that's what we talked about with hunt for red October and, uh, and certainly the shadow and, and some of these others as well. So I'm a big fan of the shadow. I think he's a lot of fun in it as well. Now what about Congo? Oh boy. I'm so excited. Really? Yes. I barely like, this is, it's one of the, one of the earliest movies, because I, I, I was, for a long time, I liked every movie I saw. Okay. Because I just liked movies and I liked watching them. And so it was very rare for me, um, even as a kid, like I would have been like 13 or whatever, mm-hmm. to uh, be able to recognize that I, I'm i not having a good time watching this movie. And Congo was a fairly early one for me. I didn't like it at the time. 
I have developed an appreciation for it because of the of the tone that it is striking. It feels very much. I mean, when you think about it, tonally, it's not that different than like an Indiana Jones film. Okay. Like it feels, and I I I, I owe a lot of this to hear to listening to a review by uh, Siskel and Ebert, in which they talk about like it feels like a throwback to like 1930s and 40s adventure films, you know, where, yes, at the end, there's these killer apes, but they're only at the end. Along the way, it's like they're attacked by hippos and there's, and, you know, there's a volcano. Like everything that like that can happen on this adventure does, you know, and they wind up in a hot air balloon and that, you know, it's and there's ancient temples and all these kinds of things. You know, and if you look at it like that, I feel like the film gets a lot better. Um. So I would. I'm sorry. You were going to say something. I was going to interject a little factoid, but go right ahead. Hippos kill more people than crocodiles. Did yes, you know that? I did. I only just learned that, and yeah, literally every person that I've said that to has had your reaction. Like, yeah. There so is apparently, this, this is a thing that people know. There is this I video that I saw it. on Facebook uh, where some people were, uh, I believe, in Africa, and they're on a river on a boat, and they're just, you know, kind of just cruising along very slowly, and they. They're recording and they, you see a ripple. You don't see uh-huh. anything above the water. You just see a ripple and it's moving very fast towards them. <laughs> it looks like the fucking Jaws ride. I, I shouldn't laugh. At Universal right. Studios. And so then they're like, and you hear them go, go like, holy shit. And they just gun the boat and out jumps this giant hippo and it barely misses them. And it's like that thing would have taken out their entire boat. So the hippos just don't like. Boats? They Apparently they're very territorial is what I heard. Um, and so... Man, alive. Yeah, it's... And, and and I think because of the way they look, and I think even the name Hippo... Yeah, they look like, cute. Yeah, the double P is not frightening. <laughs> Shark. Shark is frightening. Right. Um, snake. You know, Hippo. <laughs> Sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And so... Um, like they're, they're dancing ballerinas, yeah, right? Or they're hungry, hungry. Right. So... Um, so I think to to talk about the tone. So Tim Curry was nominated for a Razzie for best for worst supporting actor uh-huh. for Congo. But I think if anybody gets this movie, it is Tim Curry as Herkima Homolka. And I did think you look up, look that up again. Or did you know, I remember it. <laughs> How could you forget? I, I had, I had forgotten. And so, um, and just playing this guy who is not very smart is a little bit treacherous, but he's not like, he's not going to betray anybody. He simply has ulterior motives and he just, and the character is Romanian. Maybe, uh, I mean, Tim Curry commits to the accent and does a good job with it. Um, and it's just, I love his performance. I think it's a lot of fun and it's, and that one is over the top and it's meant to be. Doesn't he get his head squashed? He does. Yes. He gets killed by apes. Okay. Um, a lot of them do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I really enjoy Congo. Sorry. It's of course, I don't think it's that good of a movie, but it's fun. And I think he's a lot of fun in the the DVD. I do not. I believe it is available on Netflix now. And I'll say this Congo for me is the gift that keeps on giving because it allows me whenever somebody says the word Congo, which doesn't happen that often, but sometimes it does whether in reference to the movie or not. And then I get to say now, interesting thing about Congo. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's where you are the endangered species. <laughs> I say it every you time. You must have been biting your tongue all through the gunman. Uh, I did have that. Well, they kept saying, 
they kept saying Democratic Republican. I'm like, oh, it's not the same. Right. Um, uh, we need to speed up because I don't know if you can tell my voice is going. Okay. Um, I don't have, look, I, what I'm finding with a lot of these movies is that I've seen them and I don't remember them very well. Well, and that's the Charlie's thing is, Angels. Yeah, I, he it's hasn't. Been a long time since I saw that. His heyday was when we were young. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the the most recent thing for me is Kinsey, which is 2004. Do you remember him in Scary Movie Two? I didn't see Scary Movie Two. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I yeah, will say Kinsey. I remember liking, but I don't. I remember very little about that movie except um, is it. William Sadler masturbating uh, to completion within in like fifteen seconds. I don't is that recall. William Sadler, is that who I, that is? I don't recall that. That's like the one scene that sticks out to me. That's a that's an odd thing to yeah. jump out of you, but uh, yeah. And then uh, there's, yeah, there's other part where Peter Sarsgaard says that based on the research, uh, like ugly girls are more sexually active, and Laura Linney says not to call them ugly. That always sticks out because <laughs> it always because when he said it in the movie, I was like, come on, dude. <laughs> and then Laura Linney like spoke up and I was like, you go Laura Linney. Um, I remember Laura liking Linney, her in right? it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. remember thinking she was really great and Liam Neeson. Okay, um, so we have nothing to say, but uh, I'll, j- I'll throw out a couple other things, by the way. Um, duck man. Do you remember that show? Duck man? I do. So Tim Curry showed Jason up Alexander. Yeah. Tim Curry showed up, uh, as his arch nemesis King chicken. Uh, I believe it's, uh, George Herbert Walker chicken. Um, otherwise known as King. And so, uh, and I remember liking him and, uh, but then he also plays a character named Simon Desmond in, in one episode and it's Duckman inherits a, uh, uh, he inherits a baseball team and Simon Desmond is like his, his agent or something like that. And, uh, or a financial advisor. And he just, and he says a lot, I, I still remember like a lot of very specific line readings that he does as Simon Desmond, um, <clears throat> where he, uh, basically he needs the, the, uh, the, the, the team to lose money so that he can take it over or something like that. And so he threatens, uh, the team or, you know, I think he threatens a box of kittens cause the team is all uh, supermodels and they're like, Oh no, we don't. And they're like, you, you wouldn't do that. And he goes, Oh, wouldn't I, would I? <laughs> and I remember thinking that was hilarious. Um, that is pretty funny. You were right to think uh, it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there's a, a moment when he says, he's, he says, pity the team isn't a more lucrative venture. In fact, you're losing money faster than a Tom Arnold kissing booth. And he just says it like he hits each word and I don't, it's such an odd delivery, but I think it's hilarious. Um, Okay, uh, we need to move on. Okay, um, um, hold on. I've only got a few things. I've only got like three things left, and we actually already kind of talked about Kinsey. Okay. Although we didn't talk about him in it, but we can move well, on. Well, let's talk about, well, let's, uh, he was, uh, he did two episodes of Will and Grace where he played, um, uh, <coughs> why am I, oh, he played John Cleese's brother, which is kind of, oh, nice. Kind of perfect. Um, what do you have to say about Kinsey? Or did you want to mention Monk? Uh, oh, I know, shoot, I know you're Monk. a Monk fan. I, I never, I've never seen it. But well, I, I wanted to mention on. Muppet Treasure Island, where he plays uh, Long John Silver. Okay. And not unlike uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol, you know, when there's only one or two actual humans in there, it's, it's, it has to be tough for those humans. They're <laughs> acting alongside Muppets. And by the way, these are stories that do have emotional resonance. 
But the Muppets are not CG. Like, they're actually there. They're right. actually being operated by people. I bet... I'll bet they get into it. I bet it's not nearly as difficult as you think it is. I think it's probably embarrassingly easy. And you think they, so? I th- I'll bet they find themselves talking to the Muppets in between takes and forgetting that they're not real people. Maybe. I, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Happens. But I I mean, I think it could be like, you know, there's a part where his character, admittedly, I think he's, I think he's, uh, I think in this scene, he is talking to the only other person there. Um, but I mean, there's a part where his character has to like, well up with tears a little bit and it's like it's muppet treasure island but he again he's committing to the part that he's playing like he can't keep in mind like again he he's somebody who recognizes the tone of the film but i think he also recognizes like well i can't not commit just because it's a it's a film filled with muppets i need to still there's still a story that is being told i'm long john silver who's been played by a number of actors He's a, a classic literary character. I have a responsibility to that character to play him with total commitment and not just hedge just because I'm in the middle of a bunch uh, because I'm talking to Miss Piggy or something like that. And so I, I really thought he was he was great in that as well. Um, we'll move on. We still haven't mentioned what he played in Kinsey. Oh, yeah. OK. Uh, well, I was going to say he was in McHale's Navy. He was a villain. I don't remember much about it, the okay. film or him in it. Uh, I don't think that's a problem with him. I think it's just a, who gives a shit about the movie. Um, yeah. And Kinsey, uh, you know, Kinsey's all about uh, Alfred Kinsey, who uh, had new new ideas about se- human sexuality and stuff. And so he's going against a lot of uh, uh, classic thought as represented by, among others, Tim Curry, who okay. plays kind of a stuffed shirt type um, and who represents the old way of thinking. And so there's a lot of, like, pearl clutching in his performance, you know, and just this thought of, like, well, just that's not how this was – that's not how this is supposed to be done. So there's not a lot necessarily to his part, but I think there's a lot of temptation there to wink at you in how he's playing the part. Um, do you know what I mean? As if to say mm-hmm. like, like, Oh, and be judgmental of his character. Uh, but I don't remember that at all. I remember actually having a lot of respect for how he plays that character as just a guy who, uh, who is very much with the majority and there and thought about sex one way his whole life. And now that's being challenged and he's incredulous about it and also frustrated that somebody would, would go against him and would go against his area of expertise and so it's very much like a third or fourth tier supporting role, but I, I remember really liking him in it, um, and not overplaying, not overplaying the the message of the film uh, in his performance. And so, so that's the last thing I saw him. And since then, the, I mean, he did a lot of vocal work yeah, and stuff that, like that. The, that'll bring us to the end here. The last thing I, I guess, heard him in is his la- his most recent credit was um, the. Cartoon uh, Network miniseries Over the Garden Wall. Oh yeah, from last year he did one episode. This will bring us full circle <coughs> to Rocky Horror in terms of his androgyny because mm-hmm. he voiced a, I guess, female character. She's a monster, so it's hard to say. Okay, uh, but her name is Anti Whispers, um, and she is uh, in a show that had plenty of terrifying characters. She's one of the most terrifying. I'm sure because she's a gigantic blob of a sweet old lady type. Thing who has terrible sharp teeth and slurps down these huge bugs that's like her food she keeps baskets and baskets oh of my. these like big beetles that and she and, and that she slurps on um 
And uh, yeah, really terrifying. And uh, glad what, he's sticking with the horror. What kind of voice does does he do? Does he do like it's, an old woman voice? It's old, I mean, her name's Auntie Whispers because yeah. it is a very it's a very soft. But there's like a. It's going to sound gross, but there's like a wetness to the voice because you can, I can almost just feel her like tongue running over her sharp teeth while she's talking. Oh like, my! Because um, yeah, I, I don't want to give away the character. You know how the how the episode she's in turns out, but okay. there's there's more than one implication that maybe in addition to these bugs, she eats uh, little boys. Who oh, okay. The, the stars of the movie or of the miniseries are little boys. Fair enough. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know I think he's an actor that that I think people have just sort of took for granted. Um, they remember a few iconic roles like Frankenfurter or Pennywise or something like that. Or Wadsworth, if you're a, a certain age, um, but uh, but yeah, he he definitely shaped. And as time has gone on, I've come to embrace other actors that I think are a bit more subtle. But it's not. I don't blame him for not being quote unquote subtle. He did. Ex- he always does exactly what the character requires. And and I'm not saying like. He does that and then will layer on other things as well. But I think he recognizes like, okay, well, I'm playing Satan basically. Now is not the time for subtlety, <laughs> even though he oddly enough in that one, he does go kind of subtle. But like, you know, in Oscar or Clue, this is this is not a subtle film. It yeah. would be wrong of me to play this subtly. Yeah. And so I think that's I think I have a great deal of respect for him. I, I was very sad to hear that he'd had this stroke and is recovering from it. That's good. I hope he does get back to it. Uh, I, I hope he's able to get back to work. And, uh, and yeah, uh, I'm glad that we were able to, to talk about him. Um, uh, it's one of the reasons I'm glad we do these profiles is it gives you the opportunity to like really delve into somebody's filmography that you wouldn't otherwise think about. Like I haven't thought about Tim Curry in a real way in a very long time. And, uh, and I should, like yeah. I, I want to watch Oscar now. I want to rewatch I Oscar again. I want to rewatch Clue. I want to rewatch Congo. Yeah, I want to rewatch. Now, David, that's where you are the inv- endangered species. That's what Did I you know. That okay. well, no, I, I want to watch the movie to see if that's true. Yeah, see if that bears out. All right, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you find uh, this podcast, and the other podcasts, and the BP fleet, and all of our movie reviews. Um, trying to think what we have up this week. Manosusius is supposed to be good. Okay. Um, uh, someone. Someone reviewed that for us. I forget who now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Some some movie reviews up there. Five. Oh yeah. Reader reviewed five to seven. Um, not Cleo from, but just five to seven. Yeah, I was a bit confused for a moment there. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so that's all of Battleship. It's the edgy new now. remake. Yeah. <laughs> no, it has an exclamation point at the end. It's the musical version. <laughs> um, that's uh, yeah. You find that you uh, email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com, Assuming that works, um, you can follow. It me. seems to work for everybody except this guy Travis. Sorry yeah, about Travis, that, buddy. Sorry. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, you have another podcast. It's called More Than One Lesson. Mm-hmm. You guys are uh, doing some uh, Scientology bear baiting over there. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I was really iffy about it. I yeah. like, uh, you know, by the time we we're recording this, like at the time that we we're recording this, I haven't gotten any uh, cease and desists. Right. Uh, but by the time it posts, who knows? Maybe that episode's not available anymore. Maybe, yeah. By the time, no. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, Tyler is a Scientologist. He's yeah. Had his uh, 
He's hooked himself up to the e-meter, had a stress test, you know what? signed his billion-year contract. When you, uh, when you watch some of this and you hear like the process of like being audited, part of me is like, that sounds so fun. <laughs> but it's like, eh, maybe that's not the best attitude to have. All right. Um, my other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. I don't know what's going on over there this week. Paul has a co-host because I'm at WonderCon. Mm. So uh, listen to it. I'm sure it's still pretty good. Uh, mm. um, and then when it comes when when that show comes back, we'll be talking. Uh, when I come back to that show, we'll be talking about the premiere, the series premiere of of uh, uh, Daredevil, and the I guess season seven B premiere of Mad Men. I just give a big I, I Tim Curry style yeah. eye roll. Yeah, I hate absolutely. it too. I hate it so much. It's exhausting yeah. to yeah. think about this. Uh, yeah. And AMC does it basically all the time now. Like yeah. with Walking Dead, I don't even know, when people are like, oh, what season you're? It's like I don't know. Yeah. How how could I know? It's very frustrating. Yeah, I think they I think they're on the quarter system now. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, well, that's right. a good place as any to wrap up. Uh, thanks uh, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.